Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, one of the benefits of oh, what we have been through recently is it's forced us as a church to move into the 21st century with some of our technology. And we're going to be upgrading some of it. We're moving some cameras around. We want to be able to use the built-in cameras. So we're going to have a camera up there and a camera up there. So they'll be watching you sleep while I preach. And we'll be able to switch back and forth. So all that is coming soon. But um, it's hard to believe that many of our Sunday services are having a 1,000 views. Um, I think that we could get to two or three or 5,000 views. And so, I, I, it's, I never thought I would be saying these things. Share the messages, like them, share them, and just get them out to people. It really works. It's crazy. And I, I'm just wondering how long before they take them down. That's the, we, we, were, we were actually wondering about last week's message, whether or not YouTube would allow it to be on. But something that happens is YouTube actually blocks the views when you uh, deal with certain topics. So when you see the numbers on YouTube, I don't, I'm not sure that those are actually right. When you have 1,000 views on Facebook and 50 views on YouTube, that is probably not accurate. But um, share it. We need to get the word out. Amen? Um, one of the things, I want to advertise something. Uh, I have been listening to a podcast. It's called the Theology Roundtable Podcast. So you might want to write this down, Theology Roundtable Podcast. And something that was said in one of them actually prompted my sermon today. And uh, I'll explain that in a second. But remember Brandon Blackford preached for us a little while? Uh, One of the key guys is his pastor, Brett Bartlett. And then the other pastor that's on it is um, Jeff Bartell. Jeff Bartell followed Mark Trotter at First Baptist in New Philadelphia. One of the other guys is a man that was one of the assistant pastors at um, Kansas City Baptist Temple. He pastors his own church there in Kansas City now, and his name is uh, Alan Shelby. And I'm just telling you, it's been such a refreshing thing for me, because what will happen is they'll be discussing a topic, and they'll be saying it exactly the way that we say it here. And that's fun, isn't it, to have maybe what you believe and teach affirmed, but then in many areas, these guys are way past me in the study that they've done on a certain topic. And, and so I'm just learning a ton of stuff listening to it. And I want you all to hear it too. And uh, so start listening to that Theology Roundtable podcast. Now let me say this. Brett Bartlett likes to find weird stuff in the Bible. <laughs> and so, and it's just fun. So here's the thing. You don't have to agree with everything that's said. It's just fun listening to them discuss these things. So what happened, I was listening to um, their the, the podcast they did on Reformed Theology. And just in passing, Alan Shelby talked about four things that the Bible tells us not to be ignorant of, that the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure we weren't ignorant of those things. And he named two or three, I think. And that made me want to talk about this because as a pastor... If the Bible says you're not supposed to be ignorant of something, then it's my job to make sure you're not ignorant of that. So I began studying it, and as you know, if Alan Shelby said that there are four, I found ten. 
And so we're going to go through those. We're going to see how quickly I can get through. Is it 10? No, it might be nine. We're going to get through nine things where the Bible talks about being ignorant and that we're not supposed to be. And uh, I was going to put it on the website, don't be ignorant. Because I heard somebody say one time that there's ignorant, then if you're really ignorant, you're ignorant. And so don't be ignorant. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And I think it's going to be really fun to have your Bibles ready. If you don't have a Bible, look in the chair in front of you. Underneath it, there should be a Bible there. And uh, let's, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you so much for your word, the opportunity to teach it and study it. And Lord, there are some things that you have told us that we really need to, to know, and that we need to not be ignorant. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a big difference between lacking capacity to, to understand something and just being ignorant of it, right? Uh, there are lots of things that, are we are, that we are ignorant of. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to be simple of evil. We're not supposed to know those things. We looked at that a few weeks ago. But there are other things that I just don't have the capacity to do. Uh, you know, I stopped being good at math when they started using letters, right? I'm not just... Terrible. I, I, I failed algebra my first time, had to take it twice. I am terrible at that. Jacob, some of you, you're all very good. Harry, he loves all of that kind of stuff. Me, I, I just, I don't have the capacity to do it probably because I don't have the interest to do it. Don't care. If, I, if someone else can make my car run, fantastic. Make my plane fly, hallelujah. I don't need to know how it works. But there's a big difference between not having the capacity to understand something and just not being willing to do the work to understand those things that we're supposed to know. So I'm going to try and go through these very quickly. I wanted to do a series on this. And you, by the time I'm done, you may feel like we are doing a series. But I'm going to try and do it all this week because I didn't announce this. January 7th, we are launching our Psalm 119 study. What did I say? I told some folks this morning, if I ever do get Alzheimer's, how are we going to know? <laughs> June 7th, we are, we are launching Psalm 119. See, I lost it right there, too. What was I saying? All right, so we're going to try and get through this. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse 10. What, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is church discipline. 1 Corinthians, he had dealt with it in chapters 5 and 6, and you turn someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That person gets right with God. What are you supposed to do with them? Verse 10, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes... Forgave I it in the person of Christ. So, you know, if we do church discipline and that person gets right with God, confesses their sin, repents, we bring them before the church, they tell the church, look, I was wrong. I've asked the Lord to forgive me, I'm asking you to forgive me. Well, that person is restored. We forgive that person, amen? If they refuse to repent, well, then you treat them as a publican. You, you cut them off. You're not supposed to eat with them. You're not supposed to have fellowship with them. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen? It's very, that was so lame. You guys are out of practice. 
if we, if we, if we have to discipline someone, they're publicly sinning, they're bringing reproach on the name of Christ, reproach on the local church, we go to them, one person goes to them, they don't listen. Two or three people go to them, they don't listen. You bring them before the church, they won't listen. Well, then you're supposed to cut them off, treat them as a publican or a sinner. Not supposed to eat with them, not supposed to have fellowship with them. Amen? Now, here's our problem. In the 21st century, we have really weak-minded Christians. Really fragile, frail men. And usually, it's a man without a spine or a man who refuses to submit to authority. Not the authority of the pastor, the authority of the church. These are the people that struggle with church discipline. That'd be a really good place to say amen. I know when I, when I talk like that, people go, what am I supposed to say here? It's such an interesting thing. We should love the Lord, love the church, love righteousness, love the word of God so much that we want to make sure that our church is clean. Remember what the Apostle Paul said. He wants to present his church to the Lord as a, as a chaste virgin, spotless, clean. That's what we're supposed to be. And, of course, all of us have private sins. All of us have had things in our past or even recently that we go to the Lord, we know that we've done wrong. Those are not public things. When something is public, it has to be dealt with publicly. If it's private, it's dealt with privately. Are you all with me on this? But what happens if that person does repent and they come back? We are to forgive them. What happens if we don't forgive them? What happens if we continue treating them like a pariah, like, like a, a publican, and that was a tax collector? That, we don't like tax collectors, right? We're, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to forgive them. Why? For Christ's sake. We do it in Christ's name. We forgive them. What happens if we don't? Look at verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, as believers, there's something we're not supposed to be ignorant of. And that's the way that Satan works. How does Satan work in churches? Well, several different ways. And we're going to see some of those in a little while. And that, that's why the foundation of this is we're not supposed to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Because what we'll find out in these, others, these other areas where we are to not be ignorant, that Satan is doing everything he can to make sure we're ignorant of those things. In the church, if we are not Christ-like, Satan will get a foothold. In the church, if we refuse to forgive things, then Satan will get a foothold. So my question is, and I'm going to try and make an application on every one of these points. Here is my question to you. Is there anyone in the church that you have a problem with and have not forgiven? If that's you, then what you are doing is you are contributing to Satan getting in here. And beginning to destroy this body. There are two ways that, that that happens. Number one, when we function properly, but weak-minded people become critical or bitter because we've taken the right stand. The other thing that happens is when we have taken the right stand and people do right, they get right where we don't forgive them. Both of those give Satan an opportunity to destroy Grace Baptist Church. We want to be holy and forgiving. How about that? We want to be holy and forgiving. Why? Because Jesus Christ is holy. 
and forgiving. How many of you are thankful that he's holy enough to forgive your sins? He's holy enough to pay for your sin and loving enough to forgive it. Holy enough to pay for it. Loving enough to forgive it. So that's the first thing we're not supposed to be ignorant of is Satan's devices. Now, Satan's devices are far more than just us refusing to forgive. I want us to look at the next one. Look with me at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. One of Satan's devices, and we're going we're gonna to read on in a second. One of Satan's devices is he causes us to be ignorant of God's plan for Israel. And if we're ignorant of God's plan for Israel, we cannot understand the Bible. We can't understand it. The main difference between Grace Baptist Church and just in churches like us, you know, Theology Roundtable, independent Baptist churches that believe the Word of God, and they understand right division. They compare Scripture with Scripture. The difference between that kind of church, now listen to what I'm going to say, and almost every other church in the world is this issue right here. We understand there's a difference between Israel and the church. If you, don't, if you don't understand that distinction, you cannot understand your Bible. And Satan, one of Satan's devices is this concept of replacement theology. Replacement theology. And actually, I think that was the title of the, the podcast, not Reformed Theology, Replacement Theology. Replacement theology is the teaching that because the Jews rejected Israel, <laughs> that because the Jews rejected Jesus, that he has now put them away he has replaced Israel with the church, and so all of the promises that God made to Israel now apply to the church. That's why in the Middle Ages you had Catholic nations invading countries in Jesus' name to conquer them for the Lord. Why did they do that? Because they believed that they had replaced Israel. And when God told Israel to conquer these pagan nations, well, now that must be the command for the church. And so because people were ignorant of the distinction between Israel and the church, millions of people died. This stuff is really important. That kind of thing is still going on today. We just don't know it because we are supposedly free here in the United States. Now, look with me back at Romans. Remember what it says in verse 2, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. There's something they don't know. Look at what it says in verse 3. This is talking about the Jews, Israel. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And understand that many of the religious people in our community and, man, i got to say, they're upstanding people. From a human perspective, they are people that you would want to know, you'd want to be around, they work hard, they, they pay their bills. But here's the problem. 
They think by doing that and possibly taking communion, behaving properly, that somehow that's the righteousness that's going to take them to heaven. What are they doing? They're trying to establish their own righteousness. That's what the Jews were doing. They were believing that if they kept the law, that somehow that would be righteous enough to take them to heaven. Verse 3 again. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So there are a couple of things here that are really important for us to get in verse 3. This could be its own sermon, but I'm going to try and do this fast. So what are they ignorant of? God's righteousness. God's righteousness. How do we know they're ignorant of God's righteousness? Because they think they are righteous. So Matt Hickman has made me a bow. You all know this. So we went shooting. And when we walk up, we both look like we are archers. He made me this beautiful bow. People actually gathered around my bow and started asking about it. We, I mean, and I've got this cool quiver that he made me. I got these really cool arrows. And we looked, both of us like archers, until we started shooting. And he's throwing darts, man. He's hitting bullseyes and doing all this. And, you know, and I look like a newborn camel or something, you know. If someone didn't know any better, they'd think we were both archers. I'll tell you a really funny thing. So I've got a friend, Barry Godown. Some of you have met him. He's probably the best golfer I've ever played with personally. Just an amazing athlete, great golfer. Years ago, we were down at Golf Galaxy together, and we're hitting golf balls into the screen. The weather was bad. We were in there, and this guy said, hey, you guys are the first real golfers we've had in here all day. My next swing, my club slipped out of my hand and flew into the screen. (laughs) Terrible. The first time I ever met Barry was at Dr. Ree's camp, and we were out there having a church picnic, and uh, Dr. Ree and I were hitting golf balls over the lake. And Barry walked up, and I I had never met him. I didn't didn't know him. And I'm a golfer, and I'm pretty impressed with myself hitting these. And then Barry hit a golf ball. And it's like we're playing a completely different game. Completely different. It's just amazing. Now, one more Barry story. We were out at uh, the ball field back when we had a softball team. Wade's at second base. We're all the way back at the fence. I just told Bill this story. And Barry was a McDonald's All-American baseball player. And so he played for Ball State. And he's my size. He's probably 20 pounds lighter than me. So we're at the fence. He catches a ball. And this is what it looked like. He threw it to Wade. This is what it looked like. And that thing went on a rope and popped into Wade's glove. I just looked. I said, how did you do that? I don't know. That's Barry's voice. <laughs> I don't. What's the difference? He's an athlete and I'm not. It's interesting. When you compare yourself... So if I compare myself to someone with my own ability, I can get pretty proud. If I compare myself to an actual athlete, an actual golfer or whatever, then you find out, no. Now consider your righteousness compared to God's righteousness. Imagine that. Imagine the difference. See, the problem is 
These Jews, they have been ignorant of God's righteousness. That's what the scriptures say. And you know what the problem is with all the religious people we know? They are ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, we as believers, we're not to be ignorant of God's righteousness either. And here's what happens. We can look at ourselves. We can understand we're like that, that 1 John chapter 2 where I, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you little children because you know that your sins are forgiven. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And so we're, we're, we're kind of like that, like that young man. He's overcome. He's had some victories. And we start to think that, you know what? I'm pretty good. Do you know what we need to do? We need to be, not be ignorant of God's righteousness. Because when we start focusing on the righteousness and the holiness of God, that, that will drive us to our face and say, God, please forgive me. It changes us. We need to not be ignorant of God's righteousness. Look at the next thing it says in verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. What does the Bible say? There is none righteous, no, not one. I'm going, that means I'm going to try to establish something that doesn't exist. Right? You know, there are a lot of people that are doing that. They're trying to be good. They think that they're being good. Then look at what it says. And have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, ultimately, when you're establishing your own righteousness, that's pride. The opposite of pride is submission. You submit to God's righteousness, recognizing you don't have any of your own. If you're not born again, if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, you need to submit to God's righteousness because we don't have any of our own. All right, so the first thing, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. The second thing, we're not ignorant of this false religion where you're establishing your own righteousness. Next, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. This one is very interesting to me. First Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, so this is obviously he's continuing and he's writing to Christians. I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock. See the capitalization there? That's Jesus. That followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What are the things that caused them to be overthrown? Now these things were our examples to the, now these things were our examples to the intent. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Boy, is that a good American verse right there? Wow. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. It's so interesting. I, um, you'll be proud to know, as your pastor, I don't anticipate committing fornication. How many of you are thankful for that? But I'm a murmurer. 
I am a grumbler. And even if I'm not doing it on the outside, I'm doing it on the inside. How many of you are kind of with me on that, you know? It's just soccer Muttley. Remember Muttley? <laughs> right? That's, that's me. So I'm not supposed to do that. Neither murmur ye, as some of them were also murdered, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happened unto them for in samples. Now remember, an in sample takes place when you're there. They saw this. For us, it's an example. It's something that's far away that we're supposed to learn from. All right? Now, all of these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to look at the children of Israel. Now, I'm very thankful God's not going to send snakes to kill us. Right? He's not going to open up the ground and send us straight to hell. That happened to Israel, but we're supposed to learn lessons from that. And it's so interesting. Satan's devices, Satan wants to make sure that we don't understand the difference between Israel and the church. If, if we fail to see that distinction, we can't understand our Bible. Satan also wants us to believe that we can develop our own righteousness and put a bunch of rules in religion so that you can know God. That's so that people think they can know God that way. But Satan also wants us to not believe the Old Testament. Uh, you've got to understand that there. if you watch the History Channel, you watch anything on the Exodus, all of these experts are going to tell you that the Exodus never happened. I want to recommend a, a movie to you. Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus. Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus. They made a second one, the same people. The Moses Controversy. And they've just come out with a third one on the Red Sea Miracle. I haven't watched the Red Sea Miracle. Those first two, here's what you're going to do. You're going to be shouting amen through the whole thing because they have found so many archaeological discoveries that confirm the book of Exodus that the experts refuse to acknowledge. Why? Because they are ignorant. The experts, let me say it again, the experts are ignorant on purpose. Like it says in, uh, in the New Testament, for this they are willingly ignorant of. Uh, Dave McCracken said that's dumb on purpose. They refuse to acknowledge it. It's funny, um, on our Baptist history tour, we had some guys that were plugged in, and they really had, had refused to acknowledge right to vision. And these are people that believe we get our authority to baptize from John the Baptist. We get our authority to baptize from Jesus, right? And so... Um, a friend, Bill Grady, kept asking this guy about that. And here was his answer. He had written books and, you know, kind of supposed to be a scholar guy. And uh, this guy kept saying, well, I haven't, I haven't studied that yet. I haven't studied it. Finally, Grady looked at him and said, how long are you going to stay stuck on stupid? He was staying stuck on stupid because he knew that if he studied it out, he'd have to change his view of the scriptures. Willingly ignorant. There are people, experts, that do not believe the Exodus. And I'm just telling you, I hope all of you parents buy that movie. I think you have to pay for it. Download it on your television and put your kids in front of it so that they can see how experts lie. 
and how the evidence is, it just, it'll just blow your mind. It's so fantastic. Okay, so don't be ignorant of the exodus. And then these things, don't commit fornication, don't murmur, let's not complain, all of these things that we are to learn. And let's watch for our pride. So, number one, Satan's devices. Number two, false religion. Number three, Israel and the exodus. Number four, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This one is so timely for today. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I love this verse. Verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, what is it that we're not to be ignorant of? The rapture of the church. But not only that, and we've taught about the rapture a lot here, but there's something specific that we are to... Now, let me, what is the rapture? The rapture is when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds and takes every saved person to heaven. That's going to happen. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's going to happen. That's different than the second coming. All right, I'm not going to take the time to go into it, but the rapture and the second coming are two different things. The rapture takes place first, then a seven-year tribulation period. Then we return with Jesus Christ to the earth, and he establishes his kingdom. But what is it that we are to not be ignorant of? Look at what it says, verse 13 again. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. So it's important that we know that when a brother or sister, a family member who is saved dies, that they're with Jesus Christ. And the Bible even uses the word asleep because it's as if they are not dead. At a Christian funeral, we don't say goodbye. We say, see you later. Don't be ignorant of this. You know that there are churches, there are Christians... There are Christians. Now, let me step back right here. The people listening probably be watching here when the video is fixed. Um, if you have a respiratory problem, if those things, well, this virus, it can really be a very dangerous thing for you. So if you choose to be more careful with that, well, praise God. If you're for that, would you say amen? Amen. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We would never want anyone to be sick. The rest of us, the rest of us, what's the worst that can happen? We go to be with Jesus. And I do want to say this. In our community, what are the 38 cases, 39 cases or something out of 50,000 people? Can anybody do the math on that? Harry, help me out here. Is that less? What, what is the percentage of that? Somebody tell me. Huh? I, a third of a percent? Is that what it is? You got a better chance. Listen, you got a better chance of winning the lottery. I don't know if that's true or not. I can't do math, so I say those things boldly. There are churches all over America that aren't meeting because people are afraid to die. People have died for going to church for 2,000 years. How many of you can see that this is kind of demonstrating we might be a little soft? 
right? Now, all of you, here's the thing. This is my fault. You all would have come to church the whole time. I'm the one that stopped it. Right? Jim, I'm soft. Um, like I said last week, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. Let's not be ignorant concerning those which are asleep. See, here's what the rapture is supposed to do. The rapture, I think it kind of brings fear to Christians. It's not supposed to. Look at verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The the rapture, the doctrine of the rapture is supposed to be comforting to us. How many of you can see there's trouble in the world? Well, hey, God's taken us out. Like I said last week, I believe that all of this is preparing us for the one world economy, the one world government, the mark of the beast. I believe this is preparing us for that. Y'all agree with that? Here's the good news. We won't be here. Hallelujah. We don't look for the rise of the Antichrist. We look for the return of Jesus Christ. Let's not be ignorant of that, all right? And, of course, Satan doesn't want us to be watching for Jesus because watching for Jesus helps us with righteousness and holiness and and zeal. All right, so, number one, Satan's devices. Number two, false religion. Number three, Israel in the Exodus. Number four, the rapture. Number five, look at this. Look at Romans chapter 11. I'm not going to spend any time here. This will just confirm one of the others that we've already looked at. Romans chapter 11, look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. So the Bible is very clear that God's not done with Israel. He's going to save all of those who come through the tribulation. He's going to save those people ultimately. But we also need to understand that they are ignorant. Remember, we looked last week that Netanyahu wants to chip every child, every person in Israel. How many of you think maybe that's going to help the mark of the beast through the tribulation period, right? We don't agree with everything Israel does, but we understand God is not done with Israel. John Hagee doesn't believe Jews need to be saved. He believes they are under the old covenant. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's something almost as dumb as Nancy Pelosi would say. It is so dumb, you can hardly get your head around it. Because they think that they have their own righteousness. Did we just look at that? They need to be saved. They need to be saved. That's false religion. It's false understanding. Israel will be saved, but they're not saved yet. They need to be saved. All right, number one, Satan's devices. Number two, false religion. Number three, Israel and the Exodus. Number four, the rapture. Number five, that God is not done with Israel, the mystery of Israel being saved. Number six, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember, Jesus loves the church, gave himself for it, shed his blood for it, and his plan is to work with us, or for us to work in the church, and for uh, us to be a part of it. But look at what Satan does. His devices. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand 
that no man speaketh by the Spirit of God, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say the Lord, Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And it goes on to talk about these different spiritual gifts. What Satan has done through charlatans like Kenneth Copeland, how many of you have seen Kenneth Copeland blowing the COVID away? Have you all seen that? Man, that guy's freaky. I don't care what anybody says. That guy, he, he scares me. All right? So here's what's happened with that kind of movement. It moves us away from studying spiritual gifts. Is there anybody here that's saved? How many of you are born again? Well, then God has spiritually gifted you to do something in the church. We need to not be ignorant of these spiritual gifts. There are apostolic gifts, things like healing and tongues and uh, those types of things. But wisdom, knowledge, mercy, administration, all of those are spiritual gifts, exhortation. Those are things that God has given us to do. Not only that, but gifts like a mechanic, a doctor. How many of you do not believe that you could be a doctor? Would you raise your hand? You would acknowledge that you can't be a doctor. That means that there are people God has gifted to be able to do that. I'm not one of them, right? I'd be passing out doing the stuff that Dr. Ree had to do. Y'all with me on that? So these are the things that we need to understand that God has given those gifts to the church and you are to use those gifts in the church. We're to do those things. And whatever God has gifted you to do, do it. Just start doing it. Don't be ignorant of that. Satan hates the church. And so if we're ignorant of what God has gifted us to do in the church, Satan's winning. Amen? Satan's winning. All right, let's go on. I'm not going to read through the whole list again. Let's go to, oh, this one is so good. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, this is so important. Look at verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant, look at what it says, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now, God does not want us to be ignorant of what our missionaries and church planters are going through. So for me, as your pastor, I have a completely different type of stress than a missionary or church planter does. I'm, I'm not worried about my paycheck. I'm, we, we have our building. You understand what I'm saying? It's a completely different situation. When I came to Grace Baptist Church, the building was already paid for. There were people here already serving. My job was a different job than a missionary or a church planter. We need to understand what these people are going through. That's where somebody like having Brother Fagali in, it helps us so much to understand what these people go through. What we need to do is we need to make sure that we are praying for these missionaries and trying to really understand specifically what needs they have. Email them. Call them. Interact with these missionaries and church planters. They need our help. They really do. Don't be ignorant of that. Look at the way that the Bible says it here for Paul. He says in the middle of verse 8, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. I think you would be amazed at how many missionaries right now are saying, I can't do this. 
It's too much. I can't do this. Don't be ignorant of that. I got an email from Steve Thornton yesterday, and they are celebrating today 40 years of ministry in Brazil, (laughs) Argentina. 40 years of ministry in Argentina. Isn't that a blessing? We need to pray for them. Why? They just started a brand new church. Brand new. They're starting again. We need to pray for them. Who knows what they are going through right now? It's very important. So, that's number seven. Number eight, I want you to see this. Uh, Look with me at... Oh, I didn't write down the reference. Hold on. Romans, chapter 1. Yes, verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto. Now, that word let is hindered in the Old English. But was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. What's he saying here? To the church at Rome... Paul had been dying to get there and minister to them. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I really wanted to come. I really want to minister to you, but I can't get there. So what is it that we in the 21st century need to not be ignorant of? It's this, struggles in ministry. Struggles in ministry. So I mentioned, I don't have some of the struggles that a missionary or church planter would have. Let me talk to you about the struggles that that myself or our deacons, the leaders at our church have. We want to be with every one of you. We want to give you the personal attention. I I said to a young man a while back, um, Wade was with me. Uh, I said, man, I love you. He goes, you don't even know me. You say hello to me at church. You don't even know me. Man, I want to personally know everybody in the church. We have almost 500 people that attend Grace Baptist Church. How is it possible to personally invest in every one of those people? That's what discipleship is about. That's why we do discipleship. But what I want you to not be ignorant of is this. I want to be with you people. That's my desire. The study, the work, all it takes to do the job, it makes it to where... And then, how many of you have jobs? Any of you have jobs? Do you have lives? We need to make sure that we are demonstrating that we're Christians by our love one for another. But understand that there is this desire. But I like the way Paul said it. But being affectionately desirous of you. Please understand, and I think you all know... I don't like to preach sermons about me, right? I'd rather preach the Bible. But this one little point in this, I want you to know something about me. I love you guys. I love Grace Baptist Church. I have so missed being together with you all. 
And I know that you all feel the same way about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't ever doubt, don't ever doubt that the leaders here at our church love you and that want to be with you. It's so important that you understand that. And then lastly, look with me at 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 38. One of our Baptist distinctives is individual soul liberty. And what that means is that I can't make anybody think anything or believe anything. All I can do is give the truth, and then it's up to them. But look at 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse 38. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. What's this speaking of? What's the context? Verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women for woman, uh, women to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Now, what is this speaking of? The Apostle Paul was having to give some hard sayings to the church at Corinth because the church at Corinth was worldly. It was worldly. And so when he is laying down the law, he says you're supposed to receive it as it is in truth, the word of God, the command of God. If someone's not willing to submit to the command of God, let them be ignorant. I can't make anybody think anything. I can't make anybody do anything. But that doesn't change the truth of the word of God. That's it. It's so fascinating. Whenever there's doctrinal trouble, and we've had very little of that in the 23 years that I've been here. Very little of it. Um, And you know what's a blessing? The reason we have very little of it is because you all demonstrate that you're going to hold to right doctrine and you're going to reject false doctrine. Years ago, I'd only been pastoring here for a little while. Guy came and said, well, I don't think preachers ought to be paid. I said, well, then you better find another church. <laughs> there, are, there are times to have a discussion. There are times not to have a discussion. This guy, the same guy said to me, he didn't think preachers should study. That they're supposed to open up their mouth and let the Holy Spirit fill it. Doesn't the Bible stay study to show yourself approved unto God? The Bible says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially that labor in the word and in doctrine. Remember, they call the deacons, they said, because it's not reason for us to leave the word of God in prayer to serve tables. You see, people have these really weird ideas, and some of them are not worth arguing about. Right? Yeah, you better just find another church. So we have very little doctrinal problems, very few doctrinal problems. When we have had doctrinal problems, it's always a submission problem, not submission to me. Don't obey me. Obey the word of God. Amen? What I preach, if, if what I'm saying is from the Bible, believe it and do it. If I'm giving you one of my opinions, it just does not matter. I'm not the authority. The Bible is the authority. Did you all hear me say that out loud? How many of you believe that I believe that? It's so important that you understand it. 
when we have had doctrinal problems, it's always from people who refuse to submit, so interesting, to the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul writes the doctrines for the church. And so, if someone wants to focus on the book of Matthew to the exclusion of Paul, you're going to be all messed up. Honestly, you cannot know what God wants us to do without the writings of the Apostle Paul. Those were mysteries that God gave the Apostles. He gave them those mysteries, this information that had been hidden from the foundation of the world. He gave it to the Apostle Paul specifically for the church. Every time I've had a doctrinal problem, it's someone who refuses to submit to the Apostle Paul's commentary on the rest of the Scriptures. Isn't that interesting? And do you know what we have to say to those people? Continue being ignorant. Is that what it says? But if any man be ignorant, finish it for me. But Say that louder. If any man be ignorant, we can't make anybody believe anything. They went out from us because they were not of us. So there are some things that we are not to be ignorant of. Satan's devices. Satan's devices. We've got to have a pure church. People trying to establish their own righteousness. I'm glad that Jesus Christ was holy enough to pay for my sin and loving enough to forgive me. Amen? Let's not be ignorant of that. All of these things, the Bible says, we are not to be ignorant of. Let's finish up with uh, Revelation chapter 3. I'm using a brand new Bible. And my Revelation chapter 3 is in tatters in my old Bible. And it's so fun to see a fresh Revelation 3. Okay, Revelation 3, look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Why? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And look at what it says. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So this is a worldly church. This is the church of the Laodiceans, not the church of Jesus Christ. This definitely describes the age that we live in. Would you all agree with that? Definitely describes the age that we live in. And what does Paul call them? I'm sorry, what does John call them? And it's actually Jesus. John wrote it. Jesus saying, there's a know-nothing church. You don't know these things. God forbid that Grace Baptist Church be a know-nothing church. Amen? We need to know some things, and then not only do we need to know them, we need to care about them. Because thou art lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. We need to care about the truth. We need to care about doctrine. We need to care about lost souls. We need to care about the New Testament church. We need to care about the return of Christ. We need to care about his righteousness and our unrighteousness. Amen? Don't be ignorant. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather around it today. Lord, thank you that we are able to come back together and Father, help us to not be ignorant of these things, but to care about them and know them. Lord, help us to be holy and forgiving.